that's what I first did was I just went in and looked at my neighborhood and saw that, you know, places were renting from 150 to 350 a night, depending upon what was going on. And then I kind of averaged it at the beginning. And, you know, it's a, uh, it's an experiment to start with, but you can learn pretty quickly on how to price it. Hey, this is Heath Padgett and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 122. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast for nomadic entrepreneurs, and if you are a dedicated listener of the RVE podcast, you know that it really hasn't been a weekly podcast for the past few weeks. I have 100% dropped the ball. We hosted our annual conference for RV entrepreneurs, this whole community of people who want to live and work on the road, the weekend before last and just the last couple weeks before leading up to that conference, Alyssa and I have just really been heads down and I decided to give myself a little bit of grace if I didn't get a new podcast episode out. It kind of sucks. I'm sorry. But at the same time, uh, a lot of you were at our conference, so you got to hear me talk anyway. And I'm going to be releasing some of those talks from the conference, which were just incredible uh, on the podcast in the coming weeks as an episode, just because... They were really, really good. You may have tuned in to on Facebook Live. We live streamed them out a lot. But regardless, I will be pushing out weekly episodes for the foreseeable future. On today's episode, I'm interviewing a really good friend of mine, Chris Cremens. Chris has owned his own construction business. He's dabbled in real estate. And most recently, he started renting out his house on Airbnb so he could travel in his RV. I thought it'd be cool to bring Chris on the podcast because one, he's one of the most philosophical just kind people that I've ever met. And every conversation with him, I have thoroughly enjoyed. I just leave feeling inspired. And if you've heard us talk about Nashville on the podcast, Chris is a big reason why we love Nashville. When we go there, we spend time with him. And I also thought it would be cool to just dive into this whole idea of being able to rent out your house on Airbnb. What does that look like? How do you go about setting up your profile, pricing, outsourcing, and ultimately managing this all from the road? In the first eight months that Chris has had his house on Airbnb, he's made over $44,000 on it. He converted his apartment into a studio apartment so he could rent out two houses. And we're just going to dive into how to actually go about setting up your house on Airbnb and whether or not he would consider doing it again, and if it's a good investment and way to make money while you're on the road. You guys will totally enjoy this podcast with Chris, because I did. And uh, without further ado, let's jump into this episode with Chris Crimmins. Chris, thanks for having me on the podcast, man. Thanks for, Chris, yeah. thank you for being on the podcast. <laughs> You're quite welcome, Heath. It has, uh, it's actually been like a few weeks since I've recorded an episode because we've been wrapped up with the RV Entrepreneur Summit. So I'm like thoroughly rusty jumping back into this. <laughs> anyway, so I thought it would be cool before we jump into kind of how you've been able to rent out your Airbnb and like what are some of the logistics around that to just share like the story of how you and I met just from your perspective. Yeah. I have my own version of the story, but I want to hear your version. Yeah. I was, I have a group of friends in Nashville that, uh, we attend WDS quite frequently, which is the world domination summit in Portland it happens, uh, usually in the summer. And Chris Gillibo was on a book launch tour and came through Nashville. And for some reason, I think he may have introduced you and Alyssa, that evening, and he had just given a little spill about you guys traveling the country in an RV. I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. And afterwards, I think I got a chance to talk to you. And I was like, well, I'd love to see your RV if that's all right. I'm, you know, I, I like RVs and since construction, and I had 
uh, worked on hair streams. It was pretty fascinating. And, and you guys were like, I, I don't know why, but just like, yeah, sure. Let's go out and see it. I mean, here I am walking into your home, but that was <laughs> the very first time we met. And I think I was traveling the next day and we've joked about this a few times, but you know, true to Southern hospitality, I was like, do you have a place to park? And I offered up my driveway and I was like, I'm leaving, but you're more than welcome to stay there. And, uh, I think sure enough, how many days did you park there? I think it was just like a couple days maybe, but yeah, yeah. we did come over the next night. So we were like in this <laughs> random parking lot giving you and I think a few other, you know, I think James Todd was there too, who's now yeah. a good friend of ours too. And we came over and parked there the next night. And then since the last few years, I've talked about how much I love Nashville on this podcast and how we have so many great friends in the area, you being one of them. And uh, now we, we always park at Chris's house when we come through Nashville. <laughs> Some more successfully than others. The Franklin like to scrape in and out of the driveway, but I think uh, your new one gets in and out pretty well. Yeah, yeah, that was that was rough. So it's kind of just an interesting thing. Like you go out and travel around the country, and the ability to just make like a really good friendship by going to a book signing in Nashville because we happen to be in that part of the country in our RV, and then you inviting us over and you know us staying. It's just like that's that's a really cool yeah. way to to make a friend. Yeah. So I want to get into this whole idea of renting out your house on Airbnb, how you've been able to do that. But first, you've done a bit of overlanding, and now you have this little majestic – how long is your RV now? Like 19 feet? Yeah, it's 19 feet, yeah. It's a little baby it's a little RV. Baby. <laughs> yeah. And so – but what kind of first drew you into this whole idea of being able to go out and spend extended amounts of time on the road? You know, after college, I started to read books. I was trying to expand my little brain. And some of the first ones I read were Walden by Thoreau and then uh, Travels with Charlie, and mm -hmm. which is about a guy that borrows a dog, Charlie, and travels around the United States. And it kind of intrigued me. And I was at this phase of life where, you, you know, you're kind of transitioning from what you grew up with to what kind of creating who you want to be. And so I was like, hey, I'm going to totally research, you know, RVs or campers. I got really interested in it and I started reading. And I... I remembered when I was a kid walking into a silver trailer, but I wouldn't have been able to, at that stage call it an Airstream. But I started to read about trailers, and then I came across Airstreams and Wally Byam and his vision, you know, to get people off their rocker and out into the world. And I was like, this is really interesting. At the time, I was like, Airstream's the only thing for me, <laughs> simply because I believed in uh, Wally Bynum, but that was probably the first introduction to it. I mean, my dad liked to tent camp. He was a pop-up camper kind of. So, you know, it wasn't that far of a stretch, but actually traveling in a camper, trailer, whatever became much more of a goal in my mind right out of college, simply because of some books I had picked up. And so when did you actually buy uh, an Airstream? You know, I bought my uh, first Airstream in 2000. Two. It was a 1958 Flying Cloud. Kind of wish I still had it. It was, it was an adorable <laughs> old trailer. But true to form, sometimes you don't know exactly what something takes to actually get on the road. And I had some other life-changing stuff. I ended up moving to Colorado, and the place where I had it stored, some friend's house, they requested that it be gone immediately. So I ended up having to sell that one. But that's when I bought my first one back in 2002. And you had one at your house when we first visited back in 2014, but it was sitting there and you sold your house and you sold your construction business at that time. So you weren't really traveling a lot in it. It was just kind of there, right? Yeah. 2000, let's see, when did I buy that one? 
I think I bought that one in like 2008 or 2009. It was a 64 Overlander. And I started my construction company in 06. And uh, when you have a job that physical, it really demands on attention. So there wasn't a lot of ways to get away. But it's kind of, I don't know, you, you get your learning sometimes by doing a business. And, you know, I, I worked it for 10 years. But the Airstream was kind of more of an outlet. It was, you know, sometimes we get the image of what we want instead of actually doing what we want. That's that's a whole nother world. But so I bought the Airstream and, you know, worked on it, kind of did a functional restoration tires and or, or axles and, you know, the plumbing system, electrical system and all that. But my brother, was my brother's there when you were there? It was. Yeah, we saw both of them. Yeah. So I helped my brother restore one and he actually ended up living his in my backyard for about three and a half years. And he was married early on in that. And so his wife lived with him in it as well, which was kind of fun. But theirs was a little stationary. So you like the aesthetics and the quality build of Airstream, but did you figure out that it wasn't really suitable for the kind of travel you wanted to do? Yeah, I think I transferred into another idea simply because I like to couple that with my interest in like off-roading. Not necessarily hardcore, but it's nice to get off onto pass and, you know, go up a trail or something like that. And I'd never want to drag my Airstream down it, you know, for fear of turning around number one but also just scratching it up or something like that and i know wally vine like took his stuff all around the world but i think they're a little bit different now uh as far as wanting to keep them nicer so i kind of transferred into a smaller option i've tried several different options since then but i allowed the airstream to be sold simply because it didn't fit with what i wanted you know to do next so when you were running your construction business in nashville you're working every day i know you managed a lot of people when you thought about this lifestyle and thought about being able to go out and travel for extended, I read Travels with Charlie too. Yeah, pretty actually. Did I read that book? I read one of them. I want to say it I, anyway. Uh, I read like one of those books and pretty yeah. early on, and it, and it lights that bug. And you're just like, especially when you're you are locked in a place, you know, you get that yeah. like, oh, I I just I need you get the bug and you need to go. So what was that? thing that you kind of latched onto about being able to go out and travel like what was the hope or the thought that you know you get on the road and and yeah just what were you thinking i have a serious adventure in, inside of me and i think part of it was being able to couple adventure with seeing new places uh, learning new things but i think what honestly what really drew me to airstreams originally it wasn't just as quality and stuff but their caravaning thing was really interesting because I, I love to surround myself with people, uh, good people. And the idea of caravanning while adventuring was like, oh my gosh, this, you can have your cake and eat it too. You know, you can <laughs> see the world and with people that you love, you know. And uh, while I haven't actually gone on a caravan yet, because for whatever reason, th that idea really stuck inside of me. And well, I, I, I'd say I haven't gone on a caravan, but like going to your summit, uh, your Alyssa summit this year was definitely part of that is like, hey, I can meet anywhere in the United States or world, you know, with people I love in my home. How awesome is that? No, I, I love that. It's something you and I have talked about a lot. So transitioning, talking about what you, how you guys have actually financed part of the travels, and then you have income in other streams. You've done real estate investing, but specifically your little house in Nashville. I love your place. And you yeah. have been renting it out on Airbnb. So mm -hmm. what was kind of the, the thought process and, and being able to rent out your house on Airbnb? before you guys started traveling more? You know, the thought was 
obviously, if I have something sitting around, I might as well make some money on it. There were a few hurdles in the way of having that happen. But for my investment brain is like, hey, what assets do I have and how can I make money on it? Interestingly, I had the Airstream at the time. And even though several people had told me I should rent it and I, and I could have, since I was traveling remotely, uh, I didn't want to have to repair something that not many people know how to repair. Like, for example, what if the hinge broke on the door? And then all of a sudden you have a cascading effect with canceling people until you can get it fixed. So that's a sidebar. But it's a reason I didn't want to rent out something that was uh, unique, you know. So I ended up selling that along with it. But that was part of it. It's just it's an asset. How can I make money? That's what got me into it at first. Yeah. And so you ended up, you renovated your garage, turned it into a Uh, studio. Yeah. And so how did you like, how did you go about pricing and figuring out, I guess, like walk me through what it actually takes to get set up. Cause it, I mean, we've rented out our rig on outdoorsy and it's different, obviously different in a lot of ways in the house, but it's Mm -hmm. fairly straightforward. It's like, we created a listing, we took photos, we put it up there. I guess Mm -hmm. what's different with Airbnb. So for me, I had my main house and then I had a garage. I wanted to maximize the potential. I guess the great thing about Airbnb, too, is you can use it when you come back into town, you know, so you could block off. That's why I chose Airbnb as opposed to traditional renting out, you know. But in Nashville, first, you have to to have a permit to do a short-term rental, anything below 30 days. And there isn't a certain allotment now. Luckily, in my neighborhood, there was still some available, and I'm not sure where, you know, the listeners live, but... That's the first thing to check into is, can I do this legally? You know, can I have a permit to do it? There are some people that do that without pulling permits, but, you know, the danger is you'll get told, you know, you'll be instructed to stop and then you'll probably have to pay all the back taxes if they catch you, which, you know, I pulled the permit. The second part of it is you have to be able to pay the uh, local and uh, city taxes. You have to basically have it as a business. So the money actually has to flow through a business account. So I I totally had to create a business. You know, so there's several steps there. You know, you just go down to um, the city and I think I set up a little LLC. That's funny. I can't even remember the name of it right this second, even though I, whichever, it had to do with investments. But, oh, I I think I did inventive holdings. Like I was like, oh, I'm going to have a whole, you know, (laughs) slew of holdings. So I need, I need more holdings. Anyway. Yeah, so I, I created the business name, and then you register with this, you know, the city. Airbnb is really funny in Nashville because I have to file and pay monthly. So once I have it set up, it's not quite a bit of paperwork. But if you don't know what's going on and you miss several months, you know, it can be quite uh, labor intensive to kind of get back on track. Um, they actually just changed it for Nashville, where Airbnb will collect part of the taxes, so it's going to save a little more energy, but when I started, I had to file and pay taxes, hotel occupancy, and then city and local taxes in Nashville monthly. Gotcha. So what did you actually have to do from like a housing standpoint just to get your house set up and all ready for Airbnb? Did you like get rid of stuff or? Yeah, that's a good question. I've stayed in a lot of Airbnbs and I always appreciated the ones that didn't feel like people live there. You know, I've been in some where you go in and only one drawer is empty or like, you know, that you can't even put anything in the closet. You know, it just, there's food that is decaying in the refrigerator. And you're like, what's going on here? So I've always enjoyed going into a clean space. And I had already been in kind of a simplification process 
But for me, I put all of my personal things in the, I luckily had a basement, but I guess you could use a locked closet or something like that. But I put all the personal things away and then just literally simplified everything else. Like, you know, when you walk into a hotel or something, it just feels so clean and open. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing clogging the space. Right. I wanted I wanted my home to feel that way. And I've, I've had comments that people really enjoy just how streamlined it was. Mm-hmm. I also hired an interior designer to come in and just kind of move the stuff I already had around to where it was more pleasing. And then I hired a real estate photographer to uh, shoot it. And he did a great job. You don't have to share if you don't want to, but do you remember like some of the costs that you that you spent on just the photography and and uh, the designer to come in? I think the uh, photographer was like ninety five dollars. I mean, it was oh wow, yeah, it is something because they they shoot houses all day long. So I just called a realtor friend of mine and said, "Hey, I want my house shot." You know, he was only there <laughs> yeah. for an hour. Yeah, he gave me about fifty fifty pictures, and since it was. He didn't stage it or anything. He just walks through, takes good pictures, and leaves. You know, it, you know. So that was like ninety-five bucks. So I actually I hired two different people. I hired uh, interior designer, and I think I ended up paying them a few hundred bucks, like two hundred fifty bucks. And that was more for their expert eye on that. I had a, uh, someone in town that was kind of a interior organizer. You know, like a someone who'd go through the drawers and make sure like the the cups are in the right spot, you know, like everything makes sense. And, uh, I think she was about $20 an hour and I think I paid her for a few days and it was so worth it because having someone else's eyes on your place is so helpful because they would see things that you, you know, we're used to seeing the same thing all day long. And it's helpful to have someone else come in and kind of orient things in the, in a user-friendly way. Totally. Was there any fear i mean i don't really have this fear even like i guess i do a little bit with renting out our rv but was there any fear of just like there's random people coming to my house or not not really concerned at all you invited us over as strangers after a day (laughs) so i guess that's not really a point of contention for you it's a little bit more of a fear but with all my personal things you know i put away like for example my coffee cups that i absolutely love like i would hate if they broke you know so if anything broke i wouldn't be that worried about it uh you know i just bought like the cheap white coffee cups that you know someone could break and it wouldn't be a big deal you know so things that were easy to damage that i didn't want damaged i put away and when i'm in town i just use the white coffee mugs i don't worry about pulling up mine so there, there was some nervousness but honestly across the board airbnb has been great you know it's kind of what do they call that kind of economy when both sides are rating each other so there's this um, accountable. Yeah, they call it some accountability deal where basically both sides want to put out their best because mm. you know, there's that feedback that's coming very quickly. So everyone's been great, to be honest. Yeah, because if somebody comes in and messes up the Airbnb, you can rate them and then they won't be able to mm-hmm. go rent other Airbnbs. How did you go about pricing it? Did you just look at other houses in the I'm actually just scrolling Nashville right now trying to find your listing. But uh, yeah. how, how did you go about pricing it? Actually, you won't see it on there currently because I'm putting a bathroom upstairs in the big house. I took advantage of the slower few months. Um, and anyway, that's why you won't actually find it because it's, it's blocked off right now. The easiest way is to, without putting in dates, just search Nashville or you know your local area and just zoom in on your general area. And while it doesn't give you exact locations of listings, I mean, if you know the area, you'll probably know the homes. But you can kind of see what places are renting for. Now, the hard part is 
when it's listed, it's usually at either their standard rate or their lowest rate, and it won't actually have it, you know, particular to a certain weekend, you know, because all the rates adjust based on, you know, if there's a special event going or, you know, things like that. And there's all the different systems that Airbnb uses to help you price it as well. But that's what I first did was I just went in and looked at my neighborhood and saw that, you know, places were renting from 150 to 350 a night, depending upon what was going on. And then I kind of averaged it at the beginning. And, you know, it's a uh, it's an experiment to start with, but you can learn pretty quickly on how to price it. And there's, there's a few sites that will help you like, hey, this is something big happening. You may want to adjust your price, but. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. So you, how long have you had it on there and what have been some of the financial results so far? I think mid-March was my first rentals. And then I actually held it off in December because I had a lot of family coming through. But between that, so I maximized my Airbnb potential because I turned my uh, garage, which is a standalone garage, I turned it into a little studio apartment. And between the two, I grossed uh, 44000 in that. Uh, those months, what's the average of that for? So eight months, 44,000. I guess people can do the math faster than I can, but <laughs> <laughs> it was plenty to pay for, you know, my, my note, some of our travels, you know, and, and all that. And honest, honestly, it paid for all the work I did on the, I call it the carriage house now instead of the garage, but it paid for all the work on that. So it was a, it was a good year just to experiment with it and then think about this next year and how it can even further fund our activities. Yeah. So from a management standpoint, when you guys are out on the road, what does it actually look like? I know you hired a company to kind of come in and clean. So walk me through like the whole reservations process. So I request a book through Airbnb. Mm -hmm. You get that, you approve it. You know, there's a few different options. You can do full service, which I believe they take typically about 20% off the total bookings, you know, off of everything. And I think then you have to additionally pay for cleaning, et cetera. I chose to hold on to the bookings part of it, which is, and I'll explain that in a second. And then I hired a company to clean. So if you put in a request to book, I put it to where you could book instantly for you know most of the dates. I would block off dates if I didn't want to book. And so if you had been rated before and it was a positive rating, you could instantly book either of my properties. And at that point, when I got the booking came through, I hired this company. Their name's called Nestive. I don't know if they're outside of anywhere but Nashville, but there may be other companies like them. They were a cleaning company that found out that specializing in Airbnbs uh, really helped. And so they have a link that they've given me. And I basically, as soon as I get a booking, I have this just practice. Like I click on the link for the listing and then schedule the cleaning immediately. And I usually just send the, like if you booked, I'd send you a message and be like, hey, thanks for booking, you know, and I usually have some saved messages, but for that one, it's usually simple. Hey, thanks for booking. Let me know if you have any questions. And that's all I usually reply at the very beginning. Uh, And then everything else is automated or not automated per se. It's semi-automatic. I created like kind of this message. It's a saved message. And so I just fire it out, you know, a few days before someone comes there. And luckily I have all keypad locks. It's one of the big things I converted on my both properties. And so it has a code and so someone just, you know, it's in the message I send out how to access, you know, how to use the keypad lock. 
And and what company is that through? It's not Link. I bought, you know, Schlage has, is it Schlage? I don't know. There's, I think mine were Yale, Y-A-L-E, because they were Z-Wave and I could connect them to a hub and I could kind of see, you know, when they were opening, when they're locked kind of scenario, or I could lock them remotely. But I didn't want to go through that battle of downloads because I've done Airbnbs where it's like download this app. And go, that's just an extra step because you have to confirm and a few other mm-hmm. things. And this is just use the code, get in. This is how to lock it. So do you just leave the same code all the time or do you like generate new codes for new people? You know, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this if you're using the same code. <laughs> you know, honestly, I've used the same code. I'll change it periodically, but I've never had a problem with someone coming back. I mean, it's just, it's not that kind of crew. And honestly, if someone hmm. broke in, they'd take a TV, you know, like. That's yeah. pretty much, you know, you're not going to haul out a couch out of an Airbnb, you know. So I, I haven't been worried about that at all. Then after the rental, the uh, how does the cleaning company know that it's time to kind of go in and clean everything up? Like, do they have access to a schedule? Do they are they on some type of automated email sequence? How does that work? Well, their their system that they use is the link they send me, and I click on it, schedule the cleaning, and so that's all under their system. And I'll usually put they, what they do request is like. If it's a same day flip, you know, like if if someone's checking out, checking back in the same day, they'll want that notated or if there's this particular checkout or check in time. So if I, you know, I'll book a cleaning for, you know, say March 8th. And if it's a same day flip, I'll just say between 10 and three same day flip, you know. And so that's already, you know, as long as I schedule it, luckily with this company I have, I mean, they've cleaned it every time. They haven't missed one. I've had one person kind of a little grumpy at me because they didn't read where I posted like three times that the checkout was at, at 10 a.m., you know, mm-hmm. and Nestive shows up at 10.01, you know, mm. and they were a little grumpy that the person kind of waited on them uh, to leave. And that, that's actually the only complaint I've had. They're like, they're waiting on me. And I was like, they're really busy, I'm sure. So if they show up and, you yeah. know. Anyway, they've totally. been actually really good, too, on, like, if someone asked for a late check-in. But if they didn't know, they'd show up, and then they That was one little complaint I had. But Nestive has worked really good. I think there is a lot of opportunity in that world to improve on, you know, the practices. But that's worked really well for me, and I've been able to be anywhere in the world. You have 24 hours pretty much to respond, and since I've automated most everything, I haven't had any calls and then, honestly, Nestive is available 24-7 for maintenance. That's one of the other things they offer. So they, I give them their phone numbers. So that's a safety. You know, yeah, but totally. my first bookings, I was in Vietnam, you know, for three weeks. And I probably had 20 bookings come in because my whole calendar was open. And, you know, I just took them all from there and sent them the message. I had some while I was still in Vietnam. And, and it worked out really, really well. That's awesome. So I think there were several months you, I talked to you and it seemed like kind of one of the average profit margins that you had was somewhere between 1500 and two grand, maybe outside of what you were paying on the mortgage uh, on the note. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've thought about this too, even if we're not ready to settle down, you know, would it make sense to kind of have, you know, if like we want to have a place eventually in Austin or even Nashville, I know Nashville is super expensive right now, but I mean, how feasible do you think it would be for people to have this option of just having a house in different places to rent out on Airbnb, would you consider doing another one or? I definitely would. You know, 
the one caveat with Airbnb is like even Nashville, they just passed legislation where you the only Airbnbs within uh, kind of they call it like uh, it's not all of, it's a closer in part of Nashville has to be owner occupied. So you actually have to own the property, not just for investment, but, you know, kind of stay there once in a while. And so that's the caveat is like if you buy a home somewhere to Airbnb and you use it strictly as an investment or whatever, the legislation can change. And so if you price yourself based on the model of like, mm-hmm. hey, I have to make money on this. And then, you know, with Airbnb, you know, the government can change rules. And all of a sudden you're stuck with a home based on an old financial model that's not going to work. You know, for me, I can rent out both my places and if I needed to, you know, in a different manner and pay for it. And I wasn't worried about that. But that is the danger of, you know, doing that. Yeah, totally. And you've talked to also, and this is kind of a non sequitur, but you've talked to me in a lot of different circumstances just about your philosophy on buying real estate and just how it requires patience and, and not just jumping out there because something seems like it could be a good deal. Yeah. You know, just work the numbers, you know, and then always, always have a backup to where th- there's another option that will work because Airbnb, well, I think, it, you know, you know, it's just like any investment. You have to know what your second plan is. Yeah. Kind of transitioning a little bit. You're, you're in this in-between phase in your life right now. I love hanging out with you because we always have like these really deep philosophical conversations about life and work and business and everything else. But you, you know, you had this phase of your life where it's very much building, 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 you know, building your business, construction, everything else. And and now you're, you know, sold some property, you have this Airbnb thing going on and you're, you're making income and you're traveling. And that's, that can be kind of a scary thing to just take that time to just learn and be a student, yeah. you know, read books and kind of just make sure that what you're doing is the right thing. And, you know, I'm sure you're extremely grateful to have that freedom. But uh, what do you feel like you've been learning as like part of this transitional period of your life? I'm just kind of interested to hear. Well, wow, it's a big question. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of a cool thing because it's like you've been successful as an entrepreneur. Your you know, construction business is doing millions of dollars. You just you hit 40 years old last year and you're like, you know what? I'm going to take some time and just create freedom to learn, learn about yourself, learn about what's next and what you're really passionate about. So I was just kind of curious, like what you've been learning in this transitional phase of your life. You know, a big thing I've been learning is just kind of the driving forces behind doing what we do and so I've studied a lot about kind of like archetypes and like the different characters we have on a conscious level and even on a subconscious level. And, you know, it's helped me understand kind of like who's on stage in order to get something done. You know, for example, like why would I want an Airstream? You know, well, the part of me that loves old things or, you know, wants to look cool you know, is really attracted to Airstreams. And, you know, so I can kind of like delve into that character. And so, like I said, a lot of what I've been learning about is kind of like the driving forces. Like, why do we do what we do? And it becomes so powerful being able to see inside of yourself a little bit and being like, oh, this is why I'm doing what I do. Or, you know, or maybe it's, hey, I want to achieve something else in my life. Who do I need to add into my life in order to achieve that? And so for me, I've, I've tried to model or surround myself with people with characters I love. I mean, as long as I love you and Alyssa, you know, because you're learners, you know, you're adventurers and, uh, you know, also remarkably entrepreneurial for 
for people in their twenties. And so it's like, wow, that, those are awesome characters. You know, I, I love to be around that. And, and I think, um, being able to share between us has been really, has been really powerful, but just learning that. And also you don't have to be global about people. Like for example, if you say that person's a jerk, well, who inside of them's a jerk or I'm a jerk. Well, when I'm being this character, what part of that is that? So it's been, like I said, very powerful for me as, as I start to transform myself is just kind of figure out who's on stage and maybe who needs to get on stage to assist in, in the next part of my, my journey. Yeah. So I, it's been a powerful few years in, in learning that. Why do you think it's helpful to know like what character you're putting forward or to know that about yourself? Well, you take my work history and, you know, I uh, got into construction and, you know, when I kind of look back there, you know, I think through like, okay, which characters were acting in, in order for me to do that. And one that stands out predominantly is a fixer. I love to fix things, you know. Now, blindly done, if I allow the fixer to be on stage and no one else, I mean, you could hand me a broken cup and I would spend my time trying to fix this cup. But the question is, is, is that truly important to my, if I have a life mission or whatever like that? And so when we're kind of asleep to who's in control of our lives, like the different characters, like I like to say it this way, like I have an adventure and a thrifty person inside of me. Which is the reason why you're always on Scott's cheap flights and you're like, oh, I just bought a round trip ticket around the world for $200. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, if my adventurer was like, hey, I'm going to go climb Mount Everest next month. I don't care how much it costs, which my you know adventurer could easily do. Uh, if I didn't pay attention to my thrifty person, it'd be like, you know, it'd create some anxiety. I'd be you know, more and more anxious as I got closer. But it's not until we access all the different characters inside of us or even the ones we want to add that I think we can really be confident that we're living towards our purpose instead of just reacting to, you know, just blind, blind choices. So for me, I stepped away from construction because what I realized is kind of, it was almost a shadow career, a shadow of what I should really be doing instead of the real thing. And now I don't ever regret doing that because I learned so much. And that's that's what life is. We learn a lot along the way, but the longer we're alive, we should be moving closer and closer to understanding ourselves and our drives and, and where we're heading in life so we can choose better. But, you know, even, I, you know, I love old cars and there's and there's part of me. It's like, all right, who inside of me loves it? Blah, blah, blah. Some things you accept, but then I don't have to spend all week working on old cars because, you know, while the character would love it, there's there's a lot of me that uh, would also be missing out. So understanding that for me has been powerful. And I could, we could talk all day about that. But it's been a powerful part of the two years of re-educating myself on who I am and also who other people are because, you know, we don't have to be global. We had talked about hanging out, obviously, in New Zealand. And I could easily say to you, Heath, like, hey, my good friend really wants to go with you. But I'm getting married this year. And so, like, you know, my dutiful fiance or whatever it is really wants to spend time building that and you know I could, I could communicate out of my characters instead of just out of one person you know and so you could draw a better conclusion as why I didn't want to go anyway it's been really powerful for me yeah no I, I love it and I'm just always interested in how different people go about 
building self-awareness and how I can continue to deploy that. Cause I think there's, there's so often I'm just trying to sit through and just think about like, am, am I doing the right things? Why am I doing these things? I have a tendency to want to just share really exciting, big news. Like, you know, like, Oh, we made this progress and, and campground booking and thing. And I notice I have that tendency versus like, mm-hmm. and, and it's not coming from a place of like bragging, but just like wanting to share. Cause I'm excited about what's happening. But there's another part of me that's like, no, you need to just put your head down and get to work mm-hmm. instead of just wanting to, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So I, I, I yeah. can even notice how, how that can be helpful in my own life. But anyway, Chris, I know we could talk about this all day. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. Yeah, uh, thank you. The last question I have, I ask in each episode, but how do you define success in uh, this lifestyle as you're traveling around the country in your RV, renting it out on Airbnb and uh, going overlanding and tinkering with old stuff? I think I think for me, success would be actually being present in whatever mode you're traveling in, like not just thinking about the next thing that needs to be added or the next stop, you know, but truly enjoying the day. Uh, that would be my idea of success is even if it's only like 20 percent of the day, because we all know we always our brains are always thinking about the next. But, you know, like if I could spend you know, 20% of the day, just being present and enjoying each day, even if it's rainy or tires flat on the side of the road or whatever, just like, yep, here I am in this moment. That would be success for me. I love it, man. Is there a good place for people to connect with you online? You know, I have a love hate relationship with, (laughs) uh, social media. Like I'll go in spurts and then I'll throw my phone down and so you can check my Instagram for occasional things, but if someone wants to email me, that's the best way to contact me. You know, but it, I guess if you want to see the brochure of my life, sometimes it's on Instagram. <laughs> and that's just at Chris Crimmins? Yeah, at Chris Crimmins. Yeah. Awesome. We'll link up to but, that in the show notes. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, man. Yeah, thanks, Heath. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode with Chris. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. If you want to subscribe or leave a review, you can go to iTunes or Overcast or Stitcher or wherever it is you listen to this podcast. You guys are amazing. I love hearing from y'all always, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, email, Instagram, or however it is that you communicate. I hope you all have a great day and I'll see you all next time on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.